Welcome to Animorphs Anonymous, the podcast where we casually discuss the Animorphs one book at a time. I'm Casey. And I'm Alex. And we're going to talk you through the plot of each book. But more accurately, take you on tangent trips, factoid forays, and say, well, actually, as much as possible. Join us on the 1st and the 15th of each month, and we'll take you along on our mission. And we promise to have you back under the two-hour time limit. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a grave announcement to make. Incredible as it may seem, both the observations of science and the evidence of our eyes lead to the inescapable assumption that those strange beings who landed in the Jersey farmlands tonight are the vanguard of an invading army. Oh, speaking of the 90s, let me go back to the 80s. We finally saw Ready Player One. Ugh, Uh, how was it? It wasn't great. It was not great at all. I did not... I... I get why they have to do this, but it still annoys me when they do when when you have two characters that are in the know of of what's going on in the world and the universe and the rules set within. So like when they're explaining like this is how our civilization is and it's obsessed with this like online video game blah blah blah. So two characters talking to each other about the rules of the world, things that they w- they both know because they live in the mm-hmm. world but they have to explain for the viewers benefits. I fucking hate that. I know why they have to do it, but I hate it. Yeah, I agree. Um, And you know what the worst example of that is? So our dearest, dearest Michael Grant, who we adore and love, who helped to write Animorphs. (laughs) Nice. Relevant. It is kind of relevant. Um, In his Gone series, which by the end of book one, I've only read book one. I have book two, have not gotten to it yet. It was very good, and the storytelling was great, but one of his introductions to his characters was, like, literally that character explanation of, like, this is my name, and I'm, like, edgy, but, you know, I'm nice to people I like, but also, if you piss me off, I'll hit back. Oh, no. It was the worst. It was exactly like that, like, explaining to me, like... This is how it is in this world. And I was like, can you show me instead of telling me? Yeah. Oh, no. That's <laughs> Did you let your wife read this before publishing? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. That's terrible. It, it, okay. I, that was a very, like, mean critique of it because the book itself is actually pretty intriguing and good. And, like, there's a lot of the compelling sort of things in it that, like, also happen in Animorphs. But the characters were not his thing did not sell me on any of the characters at any point that's too bad it was it was still worth the read okay i got the second book okay yeah maybe i'll check it out i saw um i saw endling in the library and i almost picked it up but then i was like nope i'm reading 20 books i need to stop (laughs) i just keep getting more (laughs) (laughs) basically yeah, it's an addiction. It is. I can't. I can't stop. I just. I won't stop. I just love that there's a library where I don't have to buy books. I can just go and and read them. And not oh yeah, pay for you them. Can... <laughs> not pay for them. You were saying you picked up this book from the library, right? I did. This is the first um in the main series that I've read in in the physical form. And how how was your experience? It was good. Um, I wish I had it with me, but it's in the other room and I don't feel like getting up. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a very different kind of experience. And also I'm trying not to like use the computer right now because my hands will explode, but 
So yeah, reading the actual <laughs> book was was is a nice switch, and I might keep doing that. Yeah, I'd recommend it for sure. And I got to flip the little corners, which is great. That's the most important part. Yes. Gotta see Marco turn into a cockroach. And I love seeing all the advertisements for the TV show and things that you can send postcards in to get, like, bumper stickers and yes. shit. Yeah, and, like, order the other books for, like, what, four ninety nine a piece uh-huh. or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It's like, aww. I love that. And did you, uh, did you get to the end where it gives you the little, like, synopsis of, like, in the next Animorphs book? Yes, I didn't read it because I don't want to... I didn't read it either. I never do, but it's there, just in case. And I was able to to see, to play the it was a ghost written or not game with myself. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which normally I'd have to ask you about that. So. Oh man. Well, yeah, this one was ghost written. Yep. By Elise, Elise something or other. I, let me look it up. That was mean. I should give her credit. Credit where credit is due, my friend. Credit. It is Elise Donner, like the reindeer. Anyways, this is a Marco book. This is a Marco book. This is a book about Marco. Would you like me to start reading it? Yeah! Story time. Story time. All right. A happy story time. Marco can see his mother drowning in front of him. Oh! Uh... I I lied when I said it was happy story time. Yes, you did. (laughs) (laughs) He is swimming to her as fast as he can, and he manages to grab a hold of her. He tells her that he's going to save her, and she replies, thank you, Marco, before slipping away under the waves. And that's about when Marco's dad wakes him up, and Marco realizes he's been having a terrible nightmare. Um, Which then Marco explains to us is pretty par for the course with the nightmares because, you know, his life is kind of stressful and he goes through a lot of terrible shit. And like, you know, the invasion of Earth is weighing on his mind. Um, This whole conversation, you know, he explains to us the whole invasion, blah, blah, blah. And this kind of ends with Marco's dad saying, I have to leave for work early. I call the shower first. And then Marco's (laughs) like, I get ready for school later. And I really did mean to go. So what I love (laughs) about Marco and his dad is I feel like they're kind of like roommates instead of father and son at times. Yeah, absolutely. I feel that way too. Oh my God. It's, that was pretty good. It's just a really that cute like, dynamic, I think. It is. It is a really cute dynamic. And I like that he's like, oh, my dad will just get home and like watch ESPN until 1130. He'll never notice where I am. Because <laughs> he's a negligent man. But he also isn't. Like, he's also really caring. But yeah, he is kind of negligent a little bit. (laughs) He just really trusts Marco, I guess. He, again, I think this is why he reminded me of um, Belle's father, which is something I think I said back in, like, episode five. I think it's like, yeah, like Maurice. It's just that, like, absent-minded, like, you do whatever you want kind of thing. It's engineer brain. It is. It is. Exactly. (laughs) Like, that's fine. There's something shiny over here. I have to figure it out. I have to disassemble it and look at it. Like, that's... Oh, God. <laughs> I'm doing this thing, and you can go do your own thing because I'm involved in this thing. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Anyway, Marco's dad, then things happen. Yeah, Marco's like, I'm getting ready for school, and I really did mean to go. 
So he gets up and he's like, I'm going to go catch a school bus. And then he walks right past it for no real reason. And he heads into the city for like a fun day of fucking around in the city. So he's like, it's going to be great. No one knows me here. And I'm just going to decompress and like maybe catch a movie. And he's like, you know, just really like loving it, having a great day. Until some lady with an insanely large briefcase knocks him face down into a trash can and he gets covered in coffee grounds and cigarette butts and all sorts of disgusting stuff. Ha! Yeah. I shouldn't laugh. He sees her hurrying away and he's like, I'm going to exact revenge on this lady. Wow. She's going to know my rage. It's like a Rachel That's move. Right. It kind of is, but also like... All he intends to do is to, like, beat her down the street and then, like, trip her, which is so teenage boy. Oh, my God. Like, That's true. Rachel probably would have just yelled a lot. She probably would have just turned around, chased her down, and, like, beat her into the ground. Oh. Whereas, like, Marco's like, I'm a teenage boy. Yeah. I'm going to do this thing that probably involves slime and a tripwire. And then I'm going to yell, you've been punked! Exactly. That's exactly the vibe I get from this. Like, <laughs> sucker. Whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah. Little did he <laughs> so, know. Little did he know. Um, he goes down the street to try and trip her, and he's like, this is my retribution. This is my magnum opus. <laughs> I am fire. I am death. <laughs> Pretty much. God. He's about to trip her. But then he stops dead when he catches a glimpse of her face. It's his mom in a terrible blonde wig and a blue power suit and terrible blue contacts. But it's his mom nonetheless. Then he's the one so, tripping. Um, so he pulls his hat down to try and disguise his face and not get recognized and fades back. Not going to trip her. And he's like, what the fuck do I do now? So he's like, I guess I follow her. And he's like going through this thing of like... Do I follow her? If I leave, I could lose her, but I should tell someone, but I don't know what to do. He's like, I'm just going to follow her. It's fine. So, um, yeah. Then the, mm, I don't know what the proper words are for this, but uh, like the most self-serving part of the book is here. That's not correct because it's funny. It's a tribute. But Marco goes into this building and he's trying to figure out like how he's going to follow her through the security checkpoint because the security guards are already looking at him like, you're a no good teenage hooligan. Skipping school, probably smoking the pot. Who knows? <laughs> Doing the drugs. This is your brain on drugs. <laughs> but yeah, so he's like trying to get through the security checkpoint and he's like, I'll just acquire the next person to walk into this building. So a man comes through the revolving door and Marco grabs his hand and yells, Hi, Dad. And then he starts acquiring him. <laughs> Which sends this guy into a trance, and they walk right past the security guards together. And, like, Marco puts on his, like, I'm a dullard smile, and he's like, it's take your son to work day. And the guard's like, oh, well, Mr. Grant is a very important daddy to have. Mr. Grant? <laughs> That's right, Mr. Grant. Mr. Grant! Cameo. Exactly. I was like, this is a cameo. And this was my first thought here, was like, oh, this is a cameo, which makes... A later scene even better, but I'll save it oh, until no. we get there. Oh, no. It cracks me up so much, though. Oh, my God. I'll, I'll save it. We'll get okay. there. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, so Marco walks him to the elevator before he lets that trance kind of wear off. And the guy just, like, has the weirdest reaction. He's just like, that jelly donut isn't sitting well, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
Okay, what symptoms led you to think that? Oh my god. Do you get nauseous after you're acquired? No, you just get sleepy and, like, confused. Oh, so sugar crash? I mean, if you suddenly get very relaxed and have no recollection of your walk from the front of your building to the elevators, like, I'm gonna think, like, oh no, like, I'm having a blood pressure issue or a stroke. I'm not gonna be like, oh man, that jelly donut wasn't that good. (laughs) I don't know. True. I don't know. It's just me. I guess. It's just us. (laughs) What could my actual medical diagnosis be? Doesn't oh, matter. God. Jelly donut. <laughs> um, yeah, so anyways, henceforth, I'm going to start referring to all of my medical ailments as jelly donut problems. <laughs> hashtag jelly donut problems. <laughs> I, I will hashtag that now whenever we post this episode. I say whenever, like we don't have set dates. When we post this episode, I will hashtag it jelly donut problems. Perfect. Okay, perfect. We've done it. We've figured out the hashtag of the century. Yay! Um, anyways, uh, yeah. The, Marco just drops this guy like a hot potato. And uh, the elevator doors open up. A mail cart is being pushed out with what I imagine to be a very cranky man pushing it. Because he starts like giving everybody shit. Also, we spent a really long time describing this mail cart. Like... <laughs> They really got into it. They're like, you know, like, they go between offices and, like, deliver packages and, like, mail and shit. Like, an inner office mail cart kind of a thing. So. Thanks. I don't know. I guess just really enjoy this mail cart. I guess. Do kids know what a mail cart is? Have a kids ever seen any movie from this time period? Are you kidding me? <laughs> mail carts were, like, the only thing I took away from movies about offices. Sure. So I, I just started replaying the movie Big in my head to see if there was an <gasps> office cart in there. The only thing I remember about that movie is the piano. The piano part was awesome, and also the part where he goes to the meeting and he's like, why would a robot turn into a building instead of, like, a cool bug? And everybody was like, oh! <laughs> yeah. Anyways, 90s. All about cool toys. And Tom which, Hanks. And Tom Hanks. And there were some cool Animorphs toys that we should... What? Do something with I'm sorry, you what? Didn't... Okay, what stop the, the podcast. Fuck, okay. Pause everything. What the shit? Are, are they like the, the Transformers toys? Are they like the they little Voltrons? Are, they're little like morphing toys. But there was another series that they actually used like the blueprints from because they also had humans turning into animals. So some of the animals that they morph are fucked up. So like, oh my um, God. like one of them turns into a grizzly that shouldn't. Oh. And I think it's Marco, maybe, but uh, or maybe no, maybe it's well, Jake. He had a grizzly morph in the in the Megamorphs book. He did, he did, and I think Jake might turn into a lion, or maybe Rachel turns into a lion. But like, it's all messed up because they took like uh-huh. the toy from whatever the other line was and just like retrofitted it to be animorphs. What the fuck? Okay, we should. At the end of this podcast, when we get through the books and everything, uh-huh. we should get some of these toys and, like, just, like, do some sort of unboxing thing, like, yes! YouTube video. Yes! Okay. Oh, my God. That's a thing. Okay. Because they're, like, very lame and, like, chunky and not at all, like, cool. <laughs> and I love them so much. Oh, my God. Like, I did not know there were toys. Oh, they're so toys. This changes yeah, the entire I'll, game. Uh, there's toys, all right. Oh my god. 
I'll see if uh, I know I had some back in the day, but I'll see if I can find some online because I don't think my Animorphs toys would have survived multiple moves. <laughs> those are one of those things that your parents look at and they're like, "What in the hell?" And then they just toss it. <laughs> this toy's so. jacked up. This toy doesn't look right at all. No. But yeah, it was it was like that Transformers kind of like really shitty clicking things into yeah. place to make it kind of look like the other thing. Oh my god. Yeah. So we'll we'll get there. It, I believe it was very unsuccessful. The entire toy line. I probably because they fucked up all the. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> uh, all right. Anyways, yeah. So that weird aside aside. <laughs> Um, Marco gets into this elevator where he, like, snuck in on the left, where Visitor 1 went in on the right, and he, like, ducked into the back corner like a super secret spy kind of a dude. (laughs) And then he's like, oh no, she's right by the door and I'm in the back corner. So, in possibly the dumbest move yet, he, um, grabs a section of newspaper that the person next to him dropped opened it up to cover himself, and then started morphing to a housefly in the elevator. Marco's such a bad boy in this book. He is reckless as fuck. I know what the... I mean, I understand being reckless in regards to your mom, but Jesus. Yeah, This is, like, like dumb. He... It kind of is. Like, I think the first part... What I love about this book is Marco's growth throughout it like oh yeah yeah it's gold it's so good but yeah this part like this beginning section he's just going nuts because he's seen his mom like there is nothing logical or smart about what he's doing right now yes so i for one (laughs) think this is the dumbest move so far in animorphs but i kind of love it and i kind of understand it too because it's like my mom who i was pretty sure was dead who came back to life, who was then dead again, is now alive. I'm not losing her again. Like, that's just, yeah, I totally buy all of this. And this okay, is, like, so that, the only situation where I feel like he would do that. That, I have a question for you. Okay. Because I knew that his mom came back. I don't know if you knew that his mom came back. I I was pretty sure just based on the the cliffhanger that Rachel dropped that she was going to come back like she's she's too important a player to to just disregard i think yeah okay but working off of the you maybe weren't sure but suspected it mm-hmm. like this would be a big moment reading it and like realizing like oh yeah she's back and she's like back in the game kind of a thing so i when you're saying, like, oh, you get it, you understand it, like, how he's acting in there. Mm-hmm. For me, I'm like, well, your mom's been alive the whole fucking time. I don't know why you're so, like, fucking crazed now that she's back. But it does make sense that that you would feel that way. So I guess my question is, is that kind of what's motivating that? Or um, I don't know. I don't know. I, like, I don't think he's thinking. I think he's just like, holy shit, I got to stay on her. Like, I got to figure this out. I got a contact or it's, I don't know. I just, I can, I can just yeah. see him like this. This makes total sense to me why he's doing all this. And I love that. It's yeah. so like against his, his character. I don't know. It is totally against his character. <laughs> yeah, no, I can, I can see that too. And I, I guess if I'm 
if I put myself in the, the place of somebody who thought their mom was dead and then like, especially being a little kid like this, like we, we've started to see them as like more jaded and they're, they're more soldiers now and, and generals, but like he's still like what at this point 14 years old and his mom who he thought died just came back and all he wants is his mom like that's i can see why he would be like i have to stay on her no matter what and he'd be willing to do just stupid stupid shit to be able to just see his mom in real life for that much longer yeah people have done dumber things for less true yeah okay i'll forgive it but i still think this is probably I, I will correct my language. Not the dumbest, the riskiest thing mm-hmm. anyone has ever done. <laughs> it's up there, at least. Yeah. So anyways, um, he starts morphing to fly, and the newspaper falls on top of him, and all of his clothes are around him, and the lady realizes, oh, no, I dropped part of my newspaper. So she picks up the section that's on the floor uh... now, and it reveals a mouse-size Marco housefly mix which she at first doesn't register and then, like, gets the newspaper up and then realizes, like, what she saw and, like, does a double take and is like, what the? But Marco has already made it to fly and gone over to visit one's briefcase and landed on it. So, which this lady, this is this is my character in this book. This is absolutely the reaction I would have, like, on a Monday morning or Friday morning. <laughs> To this shit happening at work. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, She's like, I cannot deal with this. <laughs> it has been a long fucking week, and I will not. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I get this. Eventually, the elevator empties out. People keep getting off at, like, lower levels. And finally, the only people left in the elevator are Marco and Visor 1. Um, and so she finally gets out. And Marco follows her to the third door on the right. And then Marco's like, okay, I know where she is. That's enough. I'm going to bail now and get back to the people that I need to tell about this shit. Mm -hmm. So he bails. He's trying to fly back to the elevator, but suddenly gets sucked into a vent. And his fly body just wasn't powerful enough to overcome the suction. So he starts to demorph to get some weight. Great idea. Fantastic. Um... And then he realizes, like, I don't know if this duct is large enough for my body, but luckily he's short and tiny, so it is. Um, he, he manages to, like, push out a vent cover that's nearby, and he kind of tumbles into an office, lands in a trash can, tells a stupid joke about, like, ten points. Um, and then he realizes, like, somebody's jangling the door, like, trying to unlock it. So he runs further back into the office where there's some sort of, like, cubicle partition thing. And he's like, oh, God. There's only one more for this scenario. So he starts to morph Mr. Grant. And he notes here that Jake or Cassie would kill him for this. So um, he decides not to mention it again. But he's going to Mr. Grant and the whole morph description is like, it's a horrifying look at my older self. Oh no, my hairline is receding. Oh no, my stomach keeps growing. My pants split open because I'm too fat for my clothes now. No, my beautiful good looks. <laughs> Everything about this was like so offensive. So I just, while I was reading this, because it said Mr. Grant, and then this was such a horrifying description, and also knowing that Michael Grant is bald, I just came up with this entire narrative about how K.A. Applegate wrote this part and, like, put it in. Like, this is important. You need to keep this. 
because Michael Grant did something that annoyed her, and she was like, I have the perfect way to get back oh, at him. Oh, no, I love that. So that's my fan fiction I wrote within a fan fiction. Jesus. So at this point, um, they've only morphed other humans, like, a couple of times. Like, Cassie mm-hmm. morphed Rachel, and then they morphed that, like, um, White House guy in the David arc. So... They never really described how clothes work for human morphs. Like, are they acquired when they acquire the morph? And then, and then my question is kind of answered in in the upcoming page or so. Yeah, and like David morphing as well to the other animorphs. Yeah, described it pretty well. Um, and then Cassie too with uh, what's his face, Mister Tidwell. Yeah, it's no. They still have their morphing suits like any other animal. It's just awkward. It's just awkward as fuck. Yeah, but like they're in their morphing suits as kids, but then when they morph into the other human, does the morphing suit just like stretch with them or? Uh, I don't think so because they always have to take the other people's clothes. Yeah, so... So I would assume if it was baggy, it would stay on them. Like, I think that's how David got away with, like, morphing in the hallway is because he wasn't wearing skin-tight clothes, like, on top. Um, but, like, if they were just wearing their morphing suit, then, yeah, I think they'd just turn into a naked person. Uh... Which is just even more awkward. Yeah. I don't know. I'm confusion. I assume because it's a children's book, they'd, like, morph, like, cartoon-like underwear, like, large white boxers with red hearts oh, yeah, on yeah. them, and a wife beater kind of a thing. Because, I mean, when they made Axe, um, like, make the morphing suit part of his morph, his human morph. So I'm assuming they yeah. can acquire clothes as well. I don't know. Skin-tight clothes, I guess, but, like, I don't know, because that's weird, too, because... Ugh. That's just a, that's just a cheat, isn't it? That's really a cheat. Oh, the axe thing? Yeah, that's really a cheat. Yeah, because, like, there's been so many instances where, like, Cassie morphed Rachel, and obviously, like, she wasn't naked in that moment. No, but then, like, you can be like, well, Cassie's in a stream, so she probably, like, separated her morphing molecules from the, I almost said flight suit, from the skin tight suit, the morph suit. Yeah. And then was, like, you know, she was able to morph under... Like, there, there's, like, some bullshit explanations you could explain for that. But, like, going from, like, a child to a child, I could see that. Going from a child to a very fat, balding, middle-aged man is different. Well, and Tobias made morphing clothes part of his human morph. Right? At least the suit. I don't know. It just it doesn't make sense yeah. that, like, suddenly... Morphing Mr. Grant would make the clothes stretch out because I'm just, do you see what I'm saying? I'm really confused. Well, this is one of two instances in this book where like, yes, when his clothes were ripping, I was like, what the fuck? Then there's another instance later where Marco gets like really superficial injuries, like skinned elbows and like a hurt butt. And then they're like, yeah, he, his butt hurt the next day and he still had his skinned elbows. And I'm like, well, wait, did he, like, walk home? Because otherwise he'd just morph away those injuries and it wouldn't be a big deal. Yeah, like, there's some inconsistencies. I think, yeah, I think the ghostwriter didn't, like, added some things for, like, comedic narrative. Effect, yeah. that Exactly, comedic effect that didn't quite 
jive with the rules of the world. Gotcha. Also, side note, why did Marco take the bus downtown? Why didn't he fly? He was just trying to be a normal kid that day. Okay. (laughs) I don't know. But what I do know is he was probably wearing his morphing suit under those clothes because they all do that all the time. Well, sure, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I assume just to, like, kill time. Because everybody loves taking the bus for funs. I mean, yeah. I assume it's, like, one of those things where, like, you know, sometimes race car drivers, you know, they drive, like, Formula One, they get really fast, and then you throw them in a shitty car. And this is, I'm totally relying on Top Gear for this, by the way. Okay. You throw them in, like, a shitty car and tell them to go around the racetrack in, like, a shitty car, and the whole time they're just giggling it up because of, like, how bullshit it is (laughs) and, like, how they know, like, how much better they could be. But, like, there's something about a car that you can turn the steering wheel four inches either way and the wheels don't budge. Like... (laughs) You know, like that. I'll I'll move on and we'll just keep going with the story because otherwise we could debate this for sure. a long time, I think. So Marco has this hilarious morph, which I made that fan fiction about. And um, then the person that was unlocking the door, like, sticks their head in and is like, what's going on, Mr. Grant? You were supposed to be at, I think she said Rodri- Rodriguez's desk? I don't know. I didn't write the name down. I don't know why I had to add that. Um, she was like, you're supposed to be there like five minutes ago. And he's like, ah, yeah, I'll be right there. Can you go get me a coffee? And they're like, oh yeah, sure. Right away. So like they leave. And then Marco's like, okay, my only way out of here is to like run through this hallway as soon as possible. So he goes like to open the door, get out of the building. And he runs smack dab into the real Mr. Grant who immediately faints upon seeing his doppelganger. (laughs) So Marco drags him into the office and then steals his clothing and then gets out of there. So is he naked or is he just like in a tattered morphing suit? I assume he's Marco is in a tattered morphing suit that conveniently covers everything important. Sure. He then puts on the suit and he leaves Mr. Grant in only white boxers with red hearts on them and a wife beater. Cool. And a tie because he could not figure out how to tie that tie. Right. I don't blame him. So, yeah. The real story that would come out of this is, what did Mr. Grant do after this? (laughs) I hope he Uh, went home for the day. Maybe he's the type of guy that keeps a spare suit in case of emergency. I hope so. I hope so. Sorry, Mr. Grant. Best of luck. Okay. Anyways, Marco at this point has had a morning full of fun, so he sneaks back to school, and he does manage to make it into school. Um, He immediately goes to run into Jake, and there's this really weird exchange where he, like, drops a textbook in front of him to make Jake pay attention to him, and then when Jake picks up the book and hands it to him, he says, Oh, you do care. (coughs) And like, Why couldn't you just been like, hey, man, and lowered your voice saying, like, guess what I saw? Yeah. I don't know why they had this weird book exchange. <sighs> but they did. Whatever. Um, but whatever. Marco doesn't even have a chance to, like, break the news to him because Chapman tries to bust him. But Marco just is, like, giddy at this point, and he's like, it was take your son to work day, and then Chapman's like, oh, I'm gonna call your dad and confirm that, and Marco's like, oh, sure, do you want me to give you the number? 
And, like, Chapman takes a moment to, like, look at him, like, is he fucking with me? And he's like, <laughs> of course he is. It's Mark. No. <laughs> yeah, right? He's like, oh, no. He said he'd give me the phone number. So he goes, just get to class. <laughs> so Marco heads to his next class, in quotes, which is lunch, where he goes to eat pizza alone. Why? I don't know. But my favorite part of this is he tries to secretly tell Rachel that his mom is alive by, like, they catch each other's eyes and, like, he tries to mouth the word alive to her. And she doesn't, like, read lips at all. So she just looks at him and is like, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> what What do you think she thought he said? I, I, I love no you. I have no idea. Maybe. Maybe. That's the only thing I can think of. Okay, listeners, anybody who can mouth read, can you tell us some things that alone looks like when you say it? Lip read? Not mouth read, it's lip read. Yes. Like, what does alone look like when alive. you say it? Alive. Alive, sorry. I was thinking it might look like alone, alone. which would be mocking All her. Or, yeah, he's alone. Yes. But she's alive. It could look like I love you. There's a V in it. But then you kind of peck, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I just like that she's like, fuck off. Yeah. Like, <laughs> No holds barred. I don't know what you're mouthing at me, but I don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) I like to imagine she also flicked him off. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Oh, Jesus. Oh, God. Marco doesn't even care. He's still giddy about this. Yay, his mom's alive. Yay. For now. (laughs) She's alive. Okay, sorry. I didn't mean to do that voice. Anyways, um... So Marco eventually calls a meeting for everybody because, like, they're not getting his excitement with Jake being cut off and Rachel just telling him to fuck right off. Um, So they meet at the barn where all meetings happen. And he's like, you guys, Visor 1 is alive! And everybody is immediately concerned and suspicious. Like, it is a very long time before anybody's like, oh my god, your mom's still alive. That's like, That's great. Or like, there's hope. No, everybody is like, what the fuck? How? Why? Are you okay? But not meaning like, are you emotionally okay? More like, are you gonna do anything stupid kind of okay? Sure. Oh. Yeah. Like, they were very immediately concerned. Which I, um, as I'm saying it now to you, I'm realizing I'm coming off like, criticizing them for this but i actually really liked it because it like really showed how they all went to this like analytical place Uh where they're like we have to defend ourselves defend this group and make sure that marco's not gonna blow anything yeah it's it's the war first which yeah the war yeah yeah coming off the last book it's like oh i don't blame you i can see you're all Mm -hmm. terribly broken about this (laughs) yeah absolutely Oh, man. It was brutal. Yep. But um, Marco starts to kind of give some more details, but it's still a very vague description of what happens. And uh, Jake then decides, of course, they're going to do some recon because this is the Animorphs. We always do recon and it goes horribly awry. Um, And then there's this very weird moment that I don't think we've really seen this before where Jake's like, yeah, we're going to do it tonight. We're going to do it proper. We're going to do some recon, find out what happens. Unfortunately, I have a family thing. I'm not going. And it's just like, what? Like, Jake, you're just going to bow out? Like, okay, whatever. Um, 
And then Rachel's like, yeah, I have to babysit. I've been blowing my mom off too often, which is fine because for Rachel, it could be like, yeah, there's no action. I'm not going. Um, (laughs) That sounds boring. I'm not going. (laughs) That sounds boring. And I would not like to do that. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Cassie's like, yeah, I'm failing at math. And um, if I fail, my parents will be a a mainstay in my life and I will get no alone time, which I believe she has used as an excuse before. So I accept it. Yeah. Um, So... In fact, I think that was her exact excuse before. It might have been a different class, but she did say, like, if she gets bad grades, her parents will be in her life 24-7. So. Yeah. Except it. it was only Jake that threw me. It was very weird. Um, and then Tobias has the saddest answer, and he goes, the only thing I have to do tonight is to watch the owls eat my mice, so I'm in. Oh. And also, Axe does nothing, too. <laughs> Not even like, so, oh, we're, we were just going to watch TV together. Nope. Oh. Nope. Just like, we literally don't do shit and have no lives. We'll be there. Oh, babies. Like, I feel it. I, I know. feel that. <laughs> I do too. Oh, little babies. Um, They are poor babies. And then Axe, very bluntly, which I really loved Axe in this book. Axe is like... Hey, Marco, are you sure you can handle it with your mom? Because you thought your mom died? Are you going to be okay, Marco? I heard your mom died. Holy shit. I loved it. Oh, my God. Seriously, dude, are you going to kill your mom? Would you kill your mom? But seriously, could you kill your mom, though? Oh, my God. Hex. I loved it. Like, it's just such a... like. In this book, Axe's cadet side, like, really came out. Oh, my God. That's so true. He was, like, (laughs) business, business, business. Yes. He absolutely was. Except for one moment where they had a terrible joke when they were breaking into Cassie's room, but I can't remember what it was. (laughs) But, yeah. So, yeah. he's. But for the most part, he's very, like, let's get down to business in this book. To defeat the hunt. So yeah, that was hilarious. And Marco is for some reason affronted. I can't imagine why. Hmm. Um, and then Rachel, once Axe kind of breaks the seal, Rachel's like, well, yeah, you did almost blow it last time, Marco. And Marco's pissed. And he's like, but I didn't. She's like, well, you, you almost did. He's like, but I didn't. And like, he gets really intense. And she's just kind of like, yeah, but you almost did, though. <laughs> Like, so anyways, whatever. They still plan on doing the mission that night. Uh, Jake puts Tobias in charge and says, all calls are Tobias. Which is interesting. Um, I was just going to say, I think it makes a lot of sense for the group that's going. Because um, I feel like if it wasn't Marco's mom, Jake, well, I don't know. I don't know if Jake would have put Marco in charge, but maybe. I don't know. What do you think? I well, he. I think he couldn't have put Marco in, in charge because it's his mom. Yeah, I was gonna like, say like, just... if it wasn't his mom, would Marco be in charge? I think so, right? I think so, because Marco's a big picture kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's logical. He's very good at thinking on his feet. I think he would be the obvious choice if it weren't his mom. Yeah. But I also don't know why Axe was never a candidate. It felt like Axe was never a candidate for this. Uh, well, I'm not surprised by that because Axe is always, I defer to Jake. I defer to this. Like, you guys are the experts. I'm just the alien. Like, you know. I mean, true. I, 
He's like the consultant for alien shit, but when it comes to human shit, he always like defers to other people. That's true. I just think it would be like, now that we're exploring the side of Jake where it's like he's a general and everything, and since Axe is such a, comes from such a military culture, mm-hmm. I think it would be really interesting on one of these missions to see him just go, like, Axe, you're in charge, head up this mission for it. Like, I think that would be a really cool moment. Yeah. Yeah. And then Tobias, though, that's, I mean, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I like the choice, but... Yeah. I would also like to see Axe handle a mission. <gasps> yeah. Anyways, that's that chapter. This next chapter really cracked me up because of Marco's narrative in his own head. Like, it's 1130, he sneaks out of his house and he morphs to Seagull. And he's like, I flew over to the building, and what he decided to do while waiting for the others to come is to eat a leftover hero from the garbage can... I need he's a like, hero. This is fine. <laughs> uh, which, for anyone that doesn't know what a hero is, it's that word that looks like gyro. Gyro. It's a meat taco. Mm, kind it's of. It's so good. It's like meat on pita. It's a spinning it's cone of meat. Tzatziki? Yeah. It is a spinning yeah, cone. Yeah, it's of meat. it's Greek or Mediterranean or it's a Mediterranean food. It's very good. Oh man. Yeah. So, anyways. I guess we recommend a hero, and that's our hot take on Animorphs Anonymous, <laughs> the podcast about Animorphs and heroes. <laughs> uh, about heroes God. and heroes, spelled two different ways. Oh, that's cute. I like it. <laughs> Another hashtag, maybe. Uh, anyways, um, yeah, so he was eating out of a garbage can until he heard Tobias's red tail screech, and I fucking loved the idea that, like, Tobias, as the leader, instead of, like, thought speaking down, like, hey, man, eating trash, like, you rat with (laughs) wings. He's like, it's me. Hello. Yeah, exactly. But instead of that, he, deep in the night, gave off a red tail screech. Like, I imagine echoing through the buildings of darkness. Like a Batman scene, right? Where it's like, Uh... in the middle of Gotham, you hear the cry from afar. And they're like, I must go. Anyways. I mean, I'm I'm glad you thought that was badass because I was just annoyed that daybirds were flying at night again. Dayman, but fighter of the night, man, champion of the sun. Okay, anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that was annoying, but um, I was willing to forgive it because it wasn't a city. But. The seagulls fly all night long in the city. Yeah. Not the red tails. The seagulls. But, but there's light, you know? There's light in the city. I'm sure they have owl morphs. They maybe? do. They definitely all have owl morphs at this definitely point. Fucking do. They definitely. Like, even it's Tobias, fine. I'm pretty sure. It's fine. He's probably really good at flying at night now since he's done it so fucking much. Yeah, and especially considering we found out in the eel book that his hobbies apparently include going to a canyon and flying through it blindly until the end. I am still salty about this 30 (laughs) books in. (laughs) This is fine. It's been, you know, Applegate was getting better, but now we have to retrain the fucking interns that are writing these books. (laughs) Oh, no. That's a terrible way to describe it. There are some very well-known authors that do these books. I'm so sorry I said that. Oh, no. (laughs) 
Like, one of them is responsible for another series. Not this author, but a different author is responsible for a very popular series that took off. I'm sorry. Oh. Wow. Um, but yeah. I'm sure Elise is a wonderful human being. Anyways. I can still be critical. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we have been bitching about this shit for 30 books. Closer to 40 at this point, but... Oh, Jesus. Still. They really need what to year get is it, it together. <laughs> what? What? Yes. It does feel like that, but yeah. yeah. Anyways, they get up to the top of the building. This isn't important. They get it up there. They they morph to cockroach and break in because the door at the top of the building somehow, and for some reason, had crowbar marks on it where somebody tried to pry it open. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not an expert on building robbery. I feel like there's a story there. <laughs> like one man went up to the roof to take a smoke break and got locked up there. Yes, and he just found a crowbar. <laughs> or any piece of metal he pried off the building because it was a yeah. long weekend, so he knew he'd be stuck up there for three days. Oh, God. Yeah. We wrote another fan fiction. Go us. Yay. We're doing real good this time. Woo. Yes, they morphed to, co- morphed to cockroach. It's... Not even hard to get into the building. This door is so jankety. They just crawl right in. Uh, and then they're like, well, how do we do this? Like, how do we how do we get down to the, to the stairway or to the hallway that we need? Because we have to climb down this stairway. And it's going to be a pain in the ass to, like, go down all these stairs. And so Marco's like, well, why don't we use the railing? And Tobias is like, ooh, but, like, well, isn't the other edge just a drop down, like, you know, 80 flights? And Marco's like, I didn't want to think about that. And they're like, okay, let's do the railing thing. (laughs) So they all climb up to the top of this railing, which is a pain in the ass to get to. And then they just start careening down this thing. And they, like, know they're going to have to make a certain amount of turns. So they also have acts counting the number of turns. They have to go around 40 of them, which is 20 (laughs) flights of stairs. I don't know. 20 floors, I guess. And so he's counting every turn. But they're also, like, going down this thing super fucking fast. And, like, when they get to the corners where it turns, they're, like, feeling their organs and their bellies, like, press up against the bottom of this <laughs> railing. And like Now this is pod racing. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that one wasn't me, guys. The one that hates sand, that was the other host. Don't come at me. <laughs> Do not at me for this Anakin thing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, it's, I guess, pod racing. He also makes a shitty comment. It's shitty. It wasn't shitty. He also made a hilarious comment about how, like, any skateboarder would trade their kidneys for this ride, which cracked me up. I don't think they would, but hey, whatever. What do I know about skateboarders? I don't even know, man. I don't even know. All I know is that Flogging Molly had a song in Tony Hawk Pro Skater. <gasps> really? Which one? Uh, Drunken Lullabies, I think. Nice. Yeah. That's all I know. Anyways, moving along. (laughs) Um, they do, like, 40 turns to get down to the floor that they were going to. And, like, they realize as they're going around the last two turns, they don't actually have a plan to get off of this railing. So Marco's like, I guess just jump. So, and the, like, final turn, instead of, like, turning all the way around it, he just goes zooming straight off the edge of it. And, like, they all, like, land gently on the floor because they're so tiny and indestructible. It doesn't matter. Right. Um, yay! <laughs> so then they're, like, going scuttling down this hallway because they're like, all right, we made it to the place. Let's go find Divisor One's office. 
And as they're going down the hallway, a door pops open and a man walks out of it, cursing the IRS and their freaking audits. And then he like panics because he sees the roaches and he stomps on an actual real roach that had been traveling nearby and then storms off to the elevator like this building. They say it's like a fancy building. I paid too much to have roaches everywhere. Blah, 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 blah. Like just really living the best office life from what He's I can tell. He's in a great mood. He's in the best mood of anyone ever. Like, this is a man <laughs> whose problems are contained at the office. He's got, he's probably got one of those kitten posters that says, hang in there. <laughs> and a picture of his family on his desk. Aww. That he hasn't seen in weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, no. I meant because he was working so much, but then I realized it came oh, off like they no. left him. Oh, no. <laughs> this is all bad. This is all terrible. I'm so sorry. Wow. Oh, man. So anyways, the IRS, these were the very real feelings that people should have about the IRS. Despair, yes. sadness, horror. This is the truth. This book mm. really, this is the truth that you needed to get out of Animorphs. Um, anyways, once he's, like, past them, whatever, they make their way over to Visitor One's office, and they find that the entire doorframe is sealed. They're like, well, clearly this is the right place, because who the fuck else would do this? So they're like, alright, let's try the vent. So they get into the vent, they climb up, then, like, guess kind of where they're going, generally, based off of what they know. And, um, once they're looking into the office, they realize that there's a holographic paint being used, which apparently you can project whatever illusion into it that you want. So like any person walking past the office looking in would see a regular office and anybody that's looking in through the window would also see a regular office and it's hiding whatever she has in there. So um, they bust in and they land on the floor, start to demorph, and once they have their real eyes, what they see is Marco's mom strapped into a portable Kendrona pool with like a neck brace that's holding her down. Um, yeah, so apparently her yerk is feeding currently. So Marco realizes that his actual mom is standing right there. Because the yerk is feeding, that's not Visitor 1, that's his mom. And he keeps trying to get closer to her, take another step and take another step. But Axe and Tobias are, are thoughts speaking to him, saying, don't move, don't go to her, what are you doing, stay here. And finally Axe has to put his tail blade to Marco's throat. And... Even then, Marco doesn't really, like, this isn't like, oh my god, he could cut off my head with a single twitch like everybody else does. He actually tries to push away Axe's tail, but, you know. Oh my it's, god. Yeah, it's so sad. It is. Um, and, like, Axe's tail doesn't budge because it's, you know, one big muscle. And then finally, like, with them coaxing him and, and reminding him, like, he can't do this, he kind of comes to and he wipes his face and he realizes that he's been crying. Oh, well, this is horrifying. I know. He's just a kid who wants his mom. Yeah. And she's right there after how many years of thinking she was dead and then having to think of her as the enemy and then just not being able to, you know to go to someone that you love and she's standing mm -hmm. right there as herself and he can't go to her. Fucking that's, sucks. That's sad. That's so sad. <sighs> but, um, you know, Marco's damaged like the rest of us, so he pretty soon starts thinking logically again. 
And uh, that's about when the room starts to rumble. And then um, Margot's mom, like, cusses out whoever is coming. <laughs> <laughs> like, she just has a moment of, like, fuck you, fuck this, fuck everything. <laughs> <laughs> um so the kids duck into, like, a, a side room, and Marco starts going gorilla, and Ax and Tobias are like, whoa, 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 buddy, what the fuck do you think you're doing? And Marco's like, no, 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 if we save her, we could gain an ally, or we could, like, sow doubt into the minds of the other Yurks. Either way, there's an opportunity here. And so they're like, oh, no, this isn't a great plan. He's like, I have a plan, follow me. So, like... They're kind of deferring to Tobias. They make a few comments like, if that's all right with you, or like, what, or like, try and stop me. And Tobias is like, all right, let's just go through with it. Fuck it. Let's go. Um, so they bust out into this room where all of these Horkbizer have just gone into and have started attacking Vizzer One, who's got a Draken Beam. And they just join this fight. They're like, fuck it, let's fight these Horkbizer off. So they're trying to fight him off. It's mostly Axe who is scaring the shit out of the Horkbizer because he is so hot in this scene. He is doing so good. He's like mm-hmm. slashing left and right, and like really like just being like the best fighter that we always knew he could be. Um, and then Vizzer One is leveling a gun at Marco. So that's also great. Uh, Marco's like, oh no, a gun! So Axe, like, slaps that out of her hands and is like, fuck that shit. And then Vizzer One runs into the bathroom, the hork are scared, they flee, and then Vizzer One busts back out with a gun right after Marco smashes a chair through a window so Tobias can go outside and see if the hork are coming or going. So this is super fun. Um, Vizzer One shoots this gun that she busted out of the bathroom with, uh, Axe dodges it, Marco just grabs a large piece of equipment in the room and uses it to block the shot and then manages to get Vizzer One in a gentle chokehold. So that Hooray. was delicate. Yeah. Um, and then we have Axe being the best Axe that has ever axed right now because he mm-hmm. just like openly thought speaks to everybody and he's like, kill Vizzer One! And then he like very <laughs> privately to Marco, he's like, we're not actually going to kill her. We're just saying this for dramatic effect. Oh, I love him. I loved it so much. He was like, he was so good. I loved his confidence. (laughs) Um, After this weird kind of Mexican standoff they have going on ensues, it's like, we're going to kill you. I'm already dead. We'll still kill you. No, you won't. Like, it's very weird, like, back and forth sniping between Vizzer One and Axe, and then Marco telling Axe what to say, and, like, them going back and forth. But then also, of course, Tobias has to, like, okay what Marco's saying. So it's like a weird game of telephone, kind of. It's very odd the way this is written. I didn't like it. Um, (laughs) But we find out that Vizzer Three has put a gashad on Vizzer One's head, meaning uh, they can kill her on sight. So it's, like, some sort of yerk mark that's, like... Kill if seen. Dangerous. Criminal. Yeah. It's like a yeah. bounty. Yeah, bounty kind of, except I don't think you'd get anything for it other than street cred. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, and then, like, the kids are like, well, we would like Visor 3 to have, like, a shout on his head. And uh, eventually this leads to them, like, kind of talking each other down to a place where they can negotiate um, Marco lets his mom go, but then, like, knocks the wig off of her head. And he's like, I don't know why I did that. And then she mocks him for being, like, a soft Andalite, like, you know, you and your wussiness. Uh, and then they come to this very strange 
negotiation where they're proposing like what they can give each other to make it so they can both walk out of this room. And what they eventually land on is that Visor 1 will give them Visor 3 if they can lead her to the hork colony for the freed hork because that is her ticket to getting back in good with the Yurk Empire. So, it was a very weird scene, I think. Um, but they agreed to the plan. And Marco is the one that's kind of coming up with the plan, then checking it with Tobias, and then Axe is saying it out loud. Again, very confusing. Um, and they're like, we'll give you the hork for Visor 3. Cool, we agree to this. But then Visor 1's like, but you have to stay and help me eliminate them. And Marco's like, just say yes. And Tobias is like, what the fuck, dude? Tobias then takes this moment to have this, like, heart-to-heart, -heart, like, you better not be leading us astray because this is your mother. Like, you better have a plan. You cannot, like, risk everything because this is your mother. You better be thinking this through. And Marco's like, I'm not, I'm not, I have a plan, I can see it, it's easy, I got it, I know what the, I know what to do. Like, I know what this is. So they're like, alright, then we'll go with your plan. Um, so then they're about to walk out of the room, but right before they split up, Visor 1 says, there's something really odd about you guys. The way the two of you stayed in Morph, and the one of you is the only one that talks to me. She's like, I'm gonna figure this out. This is weird. And Marco's like, no, we're fucked! But... Hey, whatever. Um, foreshadowing. Foreshadowing for sure. So at this point they demorph and they make their way to the rooftop just by like walking, you know. And I assume Tobias is riding along probably on someone's like shoulder or something. I don't know. Um, but they get to the rooftop. Axe and Marco get wings and they take off because the helicopters are incoming to get to Visor 1. They will not find her there. But they did send more helicopters just in case. Um, and the, we kind of have the scene where Marco's, like, being really, like, introspective. And he's flying past these, like, tall buildings, talking about how high up they are and how he can see all these people in them just having these, like, normal lives and, like, cleaning people and people that are working late together and all sorts of stuff. Um, and then Tobias is like, hey, Marco, do you actually have a plan? And Marco's like, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. But he doesn't, like, share it beyond saying he, he's going to pit the two visors against each other. And he and Tobias have another tiff about, like, whether or not he can do this. And Tobias is like, dude, you do not have anything to prove. We can just go to Jake. Like, you don't have to make these decisions about your mom. You don't have to try and kill her. There, You have nothing to prove. Like, this is, it's fine. Um, and Marco's like, absolutely not. I can see the plan. I can see the clear line from point A to point B. And I'm not going to let my emotions get in the way. Um, yeah, Marco gets very, very analytical. Like, almost overboard analytical. Yeah. So, he's swinging back and forth between these two extremes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Tobias and Axe are both like, hey, we should go report to Jake. And Marco, very uncharacteristically, very weirdly... He shuts it down. He goes, it's midnight, and there's a controller in Jake's house. And they're like, well, okay. And then he's like, we need to go see Cassie instead because we need to get some animal knowledge. And Tobias is like, it's still midnight at Cassie's place. And, uh, and Axe points out that they don't actually know that there's not a controller in Cassie's house. No. Um, but they head over there anyways. I don't like anyways. that. Yeah, I don't like that. I don't want to think of Cassie's amazing family being controllers. I know. That would be... The saddest day. Mm -hmm. 
But yeah, so they head over there because they need some animal knowledge, which is sad. <laughs> it's sad because they don't know anything. It's sad that they're so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I just wonder if they're ever going to get to a situation where they can't rely on Cassie's animal knowledge and they're just going to have to fucking figure it out. And then they're like, oh, maybe we should study zoology more. You fucks. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, what I don't understand is like, I maybe this is just me, but like in the 90s, there's so many animal shows and books and shit that comes out. Like there's facts that you just absorb because they're so often presented to you. Yeah. And like, how do these kids not get it? Subscribe to Zoo Books. Yeah. Zoo Books. Zaboomafu. What the fuck else? Crocodile Hunter was really big back then. They should have known more about crocodiles. Then we could avoid that whole alligator crocodile mocking conversation. Yeah. Like. Fucking Jack Hanna. Yeah. Yeah. There's like so show. many animal shows. They were so big at the time. Like. Yeah. Every kid's. Oh, uh, Wild Thornberries. Oh, yeah. Fuck yeah. I'm amazed. How did they not get just this knowledge inherently? Like absorb it. I don't know. Can't also, care. Axe memorized the entire encyclopedia in, what, a week tops? Get them yeah. some fucking animal books. Yeah. Oh, my God. These kids. These kids. These kids. Ugh. <sighs> also, who knows where they're going to end up? Like, Cassie, her knowledge of animals in other areas is surprisingly extensive, but still lacking enough that it could be a liability. Yeah, for sure. Get Axe some animal books. Come on, yep. guys. Yep. They get to Cassie's house to ask about <laughs> animals. I love this scene. This, this is pretty fucking good. So add in any details I miss here. But um, they get there, and the first thing that happens is Tobias parrot walks on a branch, which everybody thinks <laughs> is hilarious. So cute. <laughs> it is very cute. And uh, he walks over to Cassie's window where he just starts tapping lightly but apparently she's a pretty heavy sleeper. So he like goes to tap harder and then just smashes the window open and she bolts up and she's like, Jake. And Marco's like, Haha, sucker. Like, I don't ooh, know you're about Jake. Ooh. Yeah. Like, Ooh, what was going on in your head that you thought it was Jake? Like what's going on between you two? She was probably dreaming about him dying. Marco. Probably. You insensitive fool. You insensitive fuck. <laughs> so, welcome to Animorphs Anonymous where we yell at children <laughs> like multiple children not just the ones in the series <laughs> we're coming for everybody and everyone you can't stop us oh god you're under the age of 18 you're in our radar oh no that sounds <laughs> terrible it does <laughs> um but yeah, so Cassie, like, bolts up, and then she's like, is anybody hurt? What's wrong? And Marco's like, no, what kind of animal could we get for the mountains? And, like, Cassie's like, is he okay? Like, directed at Tobias, and Tobias is like, I mean, I don't know, he's going through some tough shit right now, and Marco's like, I'm, I'm right here. And Cassie's like, okay, are you okay? And Marco's like, I'm fine, I'm totally fine. She goes, well, you seem a bit manic. And, like, that's... She stops talking to Marco. She gets kind of, like, quiet, looks a little unfocused. And Marco immediately figures out that Tobias and or Axe are having a thought-speak conversation with her at that moment. Catching them Rude. her up, probably. I know, but Tobias does it all the time. Can we really... 
Really? I mean, <laughs> Let me just blatantly whisper about you while you're in the room. Basically. Basically, he was like, you're talking about me out loud. And they're like, oh, I'm sorry. Let me talk about you in private. <laughs> <laughs> that is what just happened. <laughs> Basically. Oh. There's also a great moment in here where they're like, how am I going to explain this broken window to my parents? And Axe is like, why don't you tell them a bird hit the window? It is the truth. <laughs> I loved it. That was so good. I loved it. I loved that too. Um, but whatever Tobias and Axe tell her, apparently she passes, she thinks he passes whatever test. She looks at him with pity in her eyes and tells him, sadly, that a mountain goat could be the morph for him and that a newish exhibit opened with them conveniently at the conveniently gardens. yeah and it's also open air so they can just fly in to get the mountain goats which is actually true that's most yeah. mountain goat exhibits are open air but still. yeah i bought that yeah i bought, I bought that too <laughs> um and then marco just takes off he's like all right bye and uh nobody talks to him the whole trip over there and he's like i'm assuming they're talking about me but I don't care because I can see point A to B. I can see the plan. I've got this. Aww. Yeah. Um, so they quickly make it to the gardens where they find the habitat that Cassie was talking about. There's some mention of how expensive the gardens tickets are, but that's okay. They don't have to pay. Don't worry. Everybody calm down. <laughs> they figured that out a while ago. Yeah, they're luckily. like, finally, we, ha- we can stop paying for these fucking tickets. Jeez. <laughs> Oh, man. Wouldn't that be great if that's how they initially got busted as Animorphs is because Cassie had to keep asking her mom to, like, set aside six tickets to get her there. <laughs> <laughs> like... Oh, God. Ugh. Anyways, not important. They get to the goats, and none of the goats look particularly kind or happy that they're there. So they're like, well, let's go to this cave where there's a bunch of sleeping goats because maybe getting a sleeping goat will be easier <laughs> They get in there, and they're like, well, Marco, you acquire the goat first because this is your rodeo, which, why didn't Tobias just land on the goat and start acquiring it, and then the others could acquire it from the trance? I don't know, but they're like- Tobias is pouting. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. He's so pouty this whole time. He's like, Jake made me leader. (laughs) And you're not respecting my authority. You're not respecting me. You didn't even ask. I mean, to be fair, like, Marco points out that Tobias is just mad because he thinks that Jake is going to blame him. Yeah. Which is, it's not, it's very different from, like, David being pouty because nobody's respecting him. So that's true. And the other really cute thing about it was as soon as Marco acknowledged that he was Uh pouting, Tobias Tobias is like, like, yeah, okay. He's like, I get it. And he's like, okay, we're good. I just wanted you to notice that I was pouting. (laughs) Oh, you silly little bird boy. (laughs) He literally was like, oh, you noticed I was sad. Okay, we're good. (laughs) Oh. He is a cute little bird boy. That's kind of adorable. It's super adorable. Tobias and Axe are both adorable in this book. Oh, like, really, him. really adorable. My little Andalite babies. <gasps> but yeah, so anyways, they send Marco into the cave anyways because this is his fucking plan and he can fucking deal with it. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> so the goat looks like it's about to jump up, but Marco puts his hand on it and starts acquiring the goat. Uh, and then Axe and then Tobias. And they're like, okay, great, let's get the fuck out of here. But when they turn around, there's, like, a posse of mountain goats behind them. And they're like, ah, oh, shit, these guys look tough. 
So one charges at them and like Axe nimbly jumps out of the way like the beautiful deer boy he is. Tobias like leaps out and flies away into the night. Marco takes a goat horn to the ass and tumbles 15 feet down the mountain humiliated. Oh god. That's right. And he says he's humiliated. I didn't say that. Marco said that he was humiliated. So there you go. Yeah. At least a pretty girl wasn't watching. Oh, true. That would have been his ultimate downfall. Yep. Um, and then from this, like, wonderful, fun scene in the middle of depression, we cut right back to this super short but intense chapter where we cut to Marco laying in bed, and he's trying to get some sleep, but he just cannot fall asleep. He's watching the clock tick, and... He just, he can't do it. Um, And so he starts thinking about these conversations he's going to have where he's explaining his plan to Jake and and then eventually he wants to tell his dad about all the secrets that that he's keeping right now. And he has this hope that maybe he can tell his mom one day too. And he's kind of rehearsing and going through everything. Um, And then eventually this leads to him thinking about like, what will people say about us if we can win this war? And he starts thinking about, like, how Jake will be studied with these great generals, like Ulysses S. Grant. He's going to be up there, and, and, you know, they'll all be heroes. Cassie will be a hero. But then he's like, what are they going to say about me? And he's like, the only thing he could think was that they'll call him ruthless and cold. So this is depressing, I think, twofold. One is that Marco is recognizing, I think, that he can be that ruthless and cold, which has always been the case, but this book really has that trait coming out more than any other. Yeah. Um, and then also, I think this is one of the first times we've ever seen somebody think about what the war will be, like, what it'll be like if they win the war. Mm-hmm. Like, we had the kind of childish hope early on, like, maybe we can end this and the adults can take care of it and blah, blah, blah. But this is the first time that I think we've seen that very, like this is a situation that could actually happen if we win. And that was kind of heartbreaking in and of itself. Yeah. It was intense. It was a very short chapter. Yeah, but it said a lot. Which leads to the next day, which is also pretty intense. They meet up at the barn. Marco's recapping the plan. And um, he thinks that he's going to have to justify it to Jake. So he goes in there, like, ready to argue his point. But once he explains his plan, Jake only says, okay. And Marco kind of, like, is unsettled for a moment. Like, he's like, oh, I thought it would... Oh, okay. And then he actually starts, like, stumbling a little bit. Like, I I have to call the shots. And he's like, okay. Like, all right. All right. Okay. We can we can do this. So um, he has Axe set up an encrypted email address that cannot be broken by the Yerks on the barn computer in Cassie's barn. And, <laughs> <Okay>. uh, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Um, and he sets his plan in motion. He sends off that email to Visor One. Um, then he and Tobias fly up to this trailhead and wait. And sure enough, very soon after, Visor One comes skidding into the area in an Audi. She parks the car, apparently just like almost running people down, cutting off women and children left and right. You know, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Not the women and children. She parks, and they start directing her, and she is, like, just cussing up a storm the whole time. <laughs> I love how unapologetically pissed she is. She is so mad this whole time. Ugh. Ugh. I love it. 
And, like, they don't ever obviously tell us that she's, like, saying, like, you fucking assholes or whatever. But, like... This is a kid's book. Yeah. They're very clear that she is saying many swear words. (laughs) So, um, they eventually direct her out of the, the area where she parked and into a small town area, I guess. Um, because... They want her to go stand by the Dunkin' Donuts. And um, they're like, all right, Chapman will be jogging past here soon. So, like, be ready. You're going to have to face Chapman. And she gets really pissed about that, too, because she's like, oh, my God, if I had to face Chapman, that's like, you know, he'd run me through for a promotion. And they're like, we know. That's why we're doing this. (laughs) Um, So within about 20 minutes, Chapman starts jogging past. She drops her purse he, of course, stops and picks it up because, as they say, he's pretending to be a pillar of the community. And um, so he goes to hand her her purse, and they look each other directly in the eyes. And Visor One is kind of acting at this point. She, like, you know, is feigning surprise and, like, feigning that she's filled with rage. Well, that one she's probably not acting. But, you know, the surprise <laughs> part, she was acting. Um, and so he continues on freaks out, looks like he's going to piss himself, and then Tobias, pretending to be an Andalite, demands that she goes to the bus and go to the mall. Um, but he calls it something very weird, like the long car. And Visitor 1 is like, it's a bus, you Andalite nitwit. <laughs> like, she gets very angry. Yeah. Um, Marco follows Visitor 1. He lands on top of the bus and rides along with it. And he was like, well, that was stupid. It only got up to like 15 miles an hour. I could have just flown. But hey, live and learn. Um, so he rides it along to the mall where they meet up with Jake, who's a peregrine at the mall. Jake then somehow switches to housefly to guide Visor One through the mall. And Margot just goes back to himself and like is kind of following but staying out of sight. Um, Jake is having her buy a scarf and gloves, but he privately says to Marco, I think she's about to lose her shit. And Marco's like, no, 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 she'll follow the plan. She has that same look about her, the same one that Marco does, where she can see the bright line of the plan, point A to B. Marco and Rachel are themselves in the department store now, watching Visor 1, because they followed her in when she went to get the gloves and the scarves, and angrily buys them. She angrily does everything. <laughs> She's raging. She She's tries. so mad. She's so fucking mad about everything that's going down right now. She tries to leave the store... And a security guard stops her and says, ma'am, you stole that scarf. And she's going, no, I paid for it. And he's like, no, you stole it. And Marco, like, has turned to her and is just gaping like an idiot. So Rachel, who is luckily also there, steps in and says, like, dude, figure your shit out. You look dumb. And then she walks over (laughs) to Visor One. And she kind of, she's like, Rachel's big, like, undercover thing is to braid her hair like a dork and wear a stupid hat. Like, Rachel's like, no one will recognize me with these traits going on. So then she also, like, tries to disguise her voice somewhat. But she grabs, like, Visor One's arm and is like, she paid for it. I saw her pay for it. How dare you? What kind of store is this? And, like, throws a big enough temper tantrum that eventually this whole crowd is gathered around there to hear her bitching about, like, how... You know, she definitely paid for this item and paid too much. It's not even cashmere. And, like, (laughs) freaks out. God. God, Her priorities. Such the right order. Love it. I love that. Um, So, yeah, that's that's her whole spiel. But um, eventually the security guard 
backs off because there are so many people there. He cannot shoot Visor One in cold blood in front of this many people. He cannot even. He cannot even. And Visor One is allowed to leave. So at this point, she's shopping at other shit in the mall, like getting the, the ropes and the boots and the hiking equipment and this other word that I recognized and read 14 times and now cannot remember. Huh? The the things that spike into the mountain. Mountain spikes. Sure. Unimportant. There's a, there's a <laughs> word. It says in the book, unimportant. Um, so <laughs> she's bought all that shit. And while she was buying all of that shit, everybody hid in her Audi and was like, perfect. This is how we're going to travel to wherever we're going. And uh, at that point, they start leading her to the to the Hork colony. That is in quotes. Hork colony. Um, Cassie is now the point person on the discussions because they've decided that what they need to do now is appeal to Visor One. They need to get her on their side or at least feeling a little bit of sympathy for them. So Cassie is at first doing very well. She's like planting Mm -hmm. the seeds that they want her to plant. She is finding out information from Visor One. She is, you know, doing everything very admirably. But then uh, Cassie mentions something to her like, you know, yeah, if we kill Visor 3 and he's out of the way, then it's much easier to kill a human. No matter how you slice it, a human's going to be the easiest thing to kill more than an Andalite that can morph. And Visor 1 then says, well, that's funny because I don't think I've actually ever seen a human included in the casualty reports from Earth. And that's about when she realizes, oh my god, these are not Andalites. And uh, Marco says she knows or she at least suspects it. So his plan has already gone awry. And now he's like, this is going to be all about survival. Because now they have to fight her with her knowing that they might be probably are human. Mm-hmm. Yikes. Yikes. Um, super yikes. Now here comes the most horrifying thing. They make it to the visitor center, and Visitor One's like, we made it. Is this where you wanted me to go? And they're like, yep, great. Get out of the car, grab your gear, get the fuck out of here. And she goes, yeah, okay, Andalites. And then starts heading out. I know. Yeah. I know. Um, Rachel's the first one to demorph after they give Visitor One a little bit of time to get away from them. And she goes first to human in the back seat, and then opens the car door sneakily, morphs to eagle and flies the fuck out of there. Um, and then the rest of them all start demorphing in different spots in the car. And Marco goes bird of prey first because they don't all want to fly out at the same time. And he hops out, starts to gain some altitude. But as he's starting to like circle up above this car, he sees a limo pull into the parking lot. And he starts warning Cassie and Jake. But before he can even finish his sentence, he sees a Drake and Beam come out of the window of the limo fire at the Audi. As soon as this thing hit the gas tank, the entire car explodes into this twisted burning metal chunk, flips like 10 feet into the air, and then back down, like upside down, completely fucked up, like twisted metal shit. And uh, Marco starts desperately calling for Jake and Cassie, but there is no answer at all. No! Yeah. Dead. Um, Dead. And then it gets even harsher because remember we're coming off of Megamorphs 3 here where we just really got into the PTSD of war so Marco's flying away from this wreckage and he's just 
Like, he, first of all, Visor 3 incinerates, like, a park ranger or two at this point And just is murdering everyone in cold blood. But all Marco can really see is the car exploding, the car burning. And he goes, and I didn't actually see this, but I can picture vividly my friend's bones cracking and burning with the heat of the Draken beam exploding there. Jesus. So, yeah, he has this very vivid, brutal, like, just, I don't know, imaginings of how his friends have died in this accident. It's really, really rough. Um, So that's about the point where he realizes he screwed up this entire plan. He did not account for Visor 3. He was so focused on his mom, on Visor 1, that he didn't allow for Visor 3 to come into this plan and fuck things up. So um, his head is still spinning. He's trying to figure out what to do. And he realizes, like, the original plan could still work. The only problem being that Marco would now have to play the part of Jake. Um, so Marco continues to soar up the mountain into the woods and he spots Visor 1 hiking pretty quickly. She's already sweaty and exhausted and just like, you know, you know, how hikers look. <laughs> how hikers yeah. do. And he can see Visor 3 now entering the, the back part of the woods behind him, following where Visor 1 has gone. And he's moving with all of his troops and this crazy posse of like, pasty white overweight people is what i'm imagining like just a lot of like just chunky out of shape pasty people wearing Um, suits wearing suits and gym shoes and then one extremely experienced red-headed woodsman who is dressed in all camouflage (laughs) which may be worse (laughs) why redhead I don't know. And he mentioned it every time this guy was there. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Redheads, are, I guess, are intimidating. I don't know. Like a badass Scottish lumberjack? I, I am confusion. Here we are. Here we are. Okay, anyways, yeah. This weird redheaded woodsman who's dressed in all camo and, like, very creepy. Like, creeped me out later, too. I'll mention it. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> And so this guy is like moved ahead of this Visor 3's posse and he started moving like cross country because he seems really experienced and whatever. Um, Marco's looking for Rachel and Tobias, but he cannot see them through the foliage until he stumbles like right onto them. And he sees a Horkbridger standing totally still in the woods and he's like, hey, hey, who is this? Is this Rachel or Tobias? And she's like, oh, it's Rachel. Hey, whatever. Um, and then he's like, where's Tobias? And she's like, I haven't seen him yet. And then he pipes up, I'm right here because he decided to climb the trees. Cause he's like, I'm using these arboreal bodies to climb and get some altitude. And apparently he was just so pleased that he snuck up on both Rachel and Marco that he just creeped on their conversation from directly above them. Hooray. <sighs> Tobias. He's so like, he has this like superiority complex about certain things. He does. Like, like his vision. Yeah, like, oh, I'm a great bird. Oh, I'm a great hork <laughs> I don't know. I feel like his great hork was still a great bird because he's like, I wanted to get some altitude because I'm a bird. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> and doesn't Marco even say at this point, like, Tobias, oh, no, it's in the next chapter. Um or two chapters from now, he mentioned something about how, like, Tobias is more hawk than anything else at this point. So it's not surprising. He's a bird. So he's right above them. 
uh, Rachel is like, oh, great, Tobias is here. And then he's like, so, she's like, so what about Jake and Cassie? And Marco doesn't answer her. And she's like, what about Jake and Cassie? And he still doesn't know what to say. And so she has to ask him a third time. And then Marco goes, Visor 3 got them. And Rachel goes, oh, they were captured? And Marco goes, no, I don't think so. So that was brutal. Um, yeah. And then Visor 1's approaching their hiding spot. And Marco kind of gives up on his plan at this point. Because he's like, in the face of Cassie and Jake's deaths, Rachel is going to lose it. She is going to want revenge immediately. And Tobias is going to retreat into his bird mind. And he's just going to be more hawk than anything else because he can't deal with emotions. But surprisingly, when Visor 1 makes it to their hiding spot, Tobias leaps down and they both start playing their parts perfectly. Oh. I know. They do so good. I'm so proud of them too. But also, I think they know the secret. (laughs) They're in on the joke. Well, at this part, they probably weren't. They probably did think. Jake and Cassie were dead. But hey, whatever. They do their jobs admirably. Um, And they are both playing these parts of these slow, free hork So they're just being sweet and slow and asking very silly questions. Um, Meanwhile, Marco has spotted the red-haired woodsman who apparently is in a nearby bush with a camouflage mask on holding a draken beam. Like a fucking serial killer. Ugh. I hated this more than anything else. I like to think that he's not even a controller. He's just like a fucking crazy hitman guy that Visitor 3 just hired. Because he's like, hey, you have a lot of bloodlust. You want to kill somebody for me? That's so gross, though. I know. Like, yes, that's that's an interesting narrative. But, like, just those, like, pseudo-military, like, weird guys are just not okay no i just hate that (sighs) oh like somebody who like gets up at like 4 a.m to do like 500 push-ups and eat raw eggs (laughs) like gaston (laughs) yes (laughs) (laughs) oh gross yeah man anyways um yeah so this creep is just dressed in head-to-toe camo, including the face mask, which just creeps me the fuck out because I have seen way too many serial killers in face masks. But yeah. um, I know. I hate it. Uh, he's just watching, which makes it worse, actually. I wish he had attacked them. That would make me feel comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> but instead, he just watches them. Yeah. Uh, Rachel, <laughs> Rachel and Tobias are asking Visor 1 for the password, and Visor 1 gives it to them. It's something pretty simple like free forever free now something like that i don't know um and then they ask her to morph to bird so that they can get there quickly and visitor one's like oh no i'm i'm sick i can't morph right now (laughs) and they're like okay we'll walk with you it's okay and uh they continue to play the part of these very simple hork visitor um as they start to walk like where rachel and tobias are leading her she, like, looks up and says, this would be a good place to hide the valley in. She's, like, talking about, like, the technology it would take, the the amount of power it would take. It would be immense, but it, it's doable. Like, she's, like, checking it all out, and Marco's like, yes, exactly what I wanted her to think. So, this part of the plan seems to be working. Hooray! Yay! 
Marco starts flying higher up, doing Tobias's job of being the aerial commander, and he's watching Visor 3's forces, and he's noticing there seems to be more than were originally there, and that's about when he realizes that there are many, many hork that are joining him from out of nowhere, and this is going to be a problem, because if the forces get too unbalanced where Visor 3 has enough people there, he's not going to take enough damage, and it's going to, like, screw up the entire thing that he has going on, which is the power struggle between Visor 1 and Visor 3. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also notices that the creepy-ass red-haired woodsman has rejoined Visor 3, so now he knows Visor 1 is with some hork and Marco's like, I don't know if he'll put it all together. Um, and then for what I could tell, no reason, Rachel starts attacking Marco, telling him, like, listen, your plan is falling apart, we just need to kill Visor 1 right now in the woods and be done with it. And Marco's like, no, 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 follow the plan, because if we kill her, we won't be able to get Visor 3. He's like, this is a whole thing, follow the plan. And Rachel and Marco start sniping back and forth, just kind of getting to be like when they have those insult fights where they're just not productive at all. Mm -hmm. And so Tobias jumps in and he says, back off, I trust Marco. And both Rachel and Marco were shocked by this. Like, Mm -hmm. they just stopped arguing, so they're like, Tobias? What the fuck? <laughs> um, and then also, Axe is missing and is nowhere to be found. So Marco no! is concerned about that. Yeah. Yeah, he's just gone. Baby, no. I know. Um, so Marco kind of floats back towards Visor 3. He sees, like, all the columns of people in the hork now, and he's overhearing these snippets of conversation where... The humans are just tired because they're in gym shoes and street clothes and they are not prepared to hike this far. Like, they're not dressed for this occasion. Um, but Visor 3 has demorphed to Andalite and is nimbly making his way through the woods. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you humans? Like a dick. Um, <laughs> and eventually, like, Chapman's like, can we just go after Visor 1 now because, like, we're fucking tired and Visor 3 is like, absolutely not. She's leading us to the free hork colony. We can have complete victory. We can have Visor 1. We can have the hork We can... No one's going to take this from me. And, like, he's so pleased about his imminent victory that another controller nearby, human controller, decides to, like, pipe up and offer an opinion. And for doing this, he gets his arm chopped off. Hooray! Like, he just fucking... Ugh. It's a whole thing where they're like... Yes, that's right. He would go slower if you took off his leg, so you feel safe, right? And then, whap, chops off his arm. Ugh. Um, and then Visor 3 is like, he's such a dick. And he's like, I've had enough of weak humans. I'm going to go on alone since my hork and Taxins are on the way, and they'll be here soon. Um, so he morphs into some kind of, like, weird monster spider thing, like, with a saucer head, like, alien saucer head, and, like, weird red eyes on stalks and, like, spider legs. The most important thing about this monster is that it is a chameleon-type monster. It can take on the colors and characteristics of its landscape. Hooray! So, yeah. So, again, Marco's like, well, I accounted for him morphing something crazy. I did not think it would be invisible as well. This is yet another setback. Um, so, Marco flies off, lands, and demorphs, and starts talking to himself, 
when Axe swoops in and says, you are in a very bad location. You have two minutes until the arrival of Visor 3's forces. And so Marco's like, fuck. And then also Axe tells him he has two of his minutes and Marco is so enraged he yells to the skies, they're two of everyone's minutes, you Andalite nitwit. So, Why is he so mad about it? I don't know. I assume because his plan's falling apart and everything's going to shit. Cool. I don't don't know. Um, So yeah, Marco's frustrated. Uh, But then he's like, whatever, it's goat time. So he becomes a goat (laughs) and it's great. It's time to go goat. Go, go, goats. Because he's the greatest of all time. He's the true goat. And he basically just starts climbing straight up the mountain so easily, surpassing Visor 1 in the Hork-Bajur and laughing the whole way to the top. Um, as he is waiting, he's, like, warning himself. He gets to the top of the cliff as a goat. He's, like, warning himself, like, you have got to be so, so careful. You are playing this part of Jake. You have to be convincing. You cannot let anything slip. So he's, like, giving himself this pep talk. But then as he sees Visor 1 appear over the side of the cliff face, Marco's, like, strangely proud of her. He's, like, you know, look at her. She's not giving up. She's, you know, standing up on sheer willpower alone. She's just done this, like, insanely difficult thing. Um, And then he realizes he can so easily knock her off the edge of the cliff. But he's, like, that's not it. That's not the plan. So um, they engage in conversation now because she of course has realized that he is the andalite and if that's what they are you know that's who he she's negotiating with so she threatens like if you guys do anything my forces are waiting right above us and we're gonna blast you apart and marco's like that's not the deal you said you give us visor three and visor one says okay yeah but you said you give me the hork valley and so um that's when marco reaches out to eric the chi and says hey can you make the hologram appear but unfortunately, Marco's next words said to Visor One was not to get all Prince of Egypt on you, but behold. No. Yeah. And then the valley appeared. And Visor One's like, you're definitely not an Andalite. Like, and I think I know you. And Marco's panicking at this point. She's like, I don't know who you are yet, but I know you and I'll figure it out. I'll find you and I'll kill you. <laughs> Um, This doesn't last long because Visor 3 suddenly appears over the side of the cliff, half blue sky and half rock, and he just starts monologuing about shit because it's Visor 3. Welcome. Um, And then there's this weird pissing contest where Visor 1's like, my ships are overhead, and Visor 3 is like, my ships are overhead, and like, I'm going to shoot you. Not if I shoot you first. My ships are scanning, oh so we'll have a record of all of this. My ships are scanning, and we'll have a record of all this of this. This is such a cartoon. It absolutely is oh. for just a split second. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, I know you were complaining about the writing earlier when when the kids had cornered Visor 1, and, and ugh, yeah, that's how I felt, too. Like, a lot of it is good. Like, very good. But then there's moments where it's like, what? The the tone is just very, like, I don't know. Yeah, the tone was not... Like, I'm a supervillain, ha-ha! Which works for Visor 3, I think, but when Visor 1 does it, it's just kind of weird. I don't know. Right, because she's, like, supposed to be, like, so conniving and so intelligent, whereas Visor 3 is, you know... Exactly. Cartoon. Yeah. Villain. So, yeah. It's a little weird. 
Um, but then we get this really cool, horrifying next scene where they are just sitting there having whatever visor pissing contest they want to have. And then it looks like the sky splits open because all of the ships start uncloaking and there are so fucking many. And like, there are bug fighters. There is a blade ship in the distance. But then Visor 1 surprisingly has a Nova-class battleship somehow, which, by the way, I don't know what that means, but here it is. Some it's a giant big deal, fucking apparently. Ship. It's a really big deal. It's never really explained, but it's, it's a very big deal. Don't worry. It's probably explained in Analyte Chronicles. Who knows? It's a big deal. It's gigantic. Fucking gigantic. It That's what you need deal. to know. Friendship is a big deal. Um... And then they're like, don't fire on me. No, don't fire on me. And then Visor 1 and Visor 3 start to actually fight. So Visor 1 fires on Visor 3 and hits him. Visor 3 slashes at Visor 1, hits her. Marco jumps in headbutt to headbutt Visor 3. And Rachel and Tobias are both like, no, don't join this fight. This is not the plan. Um, and then Visor 1 orders her ship to incinerate the entire hork Valley, which is fine because it's a hologram. And Eric does a very admirable job of creating burning children of hork and trees and shit. And the, the hologram's very convincing, but the reality is there was no valley. They just hit the mountain. So the entire thing shatters and starts to collapse below them. And this huge fissure happens right on top of the cliff where they're standing. And Visor 3 is on one side of this fissure with Rachel and Tobias. And Marco and his mom are on the other side. And so just the two of them get pulled apart on their own weird island thing. And she levels her Draken beam at Marco. And he says, I love you. And gets prepared to jump and headbutt her off the cliff. And she has just a moment where she realizes, oh my god, this is my son. Or this is my host body's son. So Marco fires is launching at his mom to headbutt her off the cliff when he is knocked down by a tiger that pins him down. It is Jake. Jake has made it back there and has him pinned immobile to the ground. A bird of prey swoops in at that point and rakes Visor 1 in the face. She stumbles backwards, loses her balance, and falls off the edge of the cliff. And Marco starts telling, or Jake starts telling Marco to hold on, just hold on. And <laughs> distantly, I know, it's, it's horrifying. Um, distantly, Marco realizes that there's this whole other battle happening on the other side of the fissure where free hork have joined the battle. The, ho- the hork controllers have joined the battle. Axe has led this free army of hork into it. And there's this whole thing happening but it does not matter to Marco. All he can do at this moment is to keep thinking in his head, hold on, because he has seen his mom die again. Oh my God. I know. Harsh. It's so harsh. It's so, so harsh. Um, and that leads us to this final chapter where Marco is somehow at home in his own bed. He has no idea how he got there. He has no memory of leaving. He doesn't know how any of this happened. Um, but he spent the entire week at home sick watching soap operas and Jerry Springer. He just told his dad, I'm, I'm not going to school. I feel too sick. And his dad was like, all right, buddy. Um, 
And Jake came to him at one point and told him what happened to them in the car. He explained how he and Cassie had seen the limo. They'd gone back to Roach as fast as they could. Cassie made it. Jake didn't make it all the way back to Roach. um, And he did get burned and knocked out. And he was almost caught half Roach, half boy forever. But Cassie was able to get him out of it seconds before he was trapped. And Marco didn't really care or register it. He, like... He noted it, but he just did not give a shit. So Jake left. Um, Later in the week, Rachel visited him and told him that there was no body. And Marco has, like, a visceral reaction to that of, like, his whole body tightens and he, like, feels, like, really weird and tight about it. Mm -hmm. And um, he's like, no, you're just just telling me that. And, you know, Rachel's like, no, I'm, I'm not. They, you know, they, they... Jerks didn't clean up the site. They just drank and beam the rest of the bodies. But there was no mark where your mother had fallen. And Marco goes, you're just trying to make me feel better. And she goes, no, I'm not. Because it it's, wouldn't make you feel better. It would make you feel worse. Because if she was dead, it would be over. You would know how this ends. But instead, there's this uncertainty again. And uh, then Rachel goes to leave. And Marco stops her and says, how do you do it? What would you do if you had to make the choice to kill your mother or your sister's? And Rachel says, well, she guesses that she would hope someone would come in and take that decision away from her like Jake did for Marco. Um, And then she sits down next to him and tells him to try the movie channel to, I guess, stay and watch TV with him. And that's the end of this book. Yikes. Yeah. Fucking yikes. What did you think? I, I was a little... This is going to sound terrible, but I was a little frustrated that we ended on yet another cliffhanger about whether she's dead or not. Like, I really thought this was going to be resolved one way or the other, but it wasn't. And now it's like, okay, this is book 15 all over again. (laughs) Just give Marco a break. He's gone through this like three times already. Very different Marco than than what I've come to expect. Like, kind of a more mature Marco. Um, Like, it used to be that he was very worried about being pitied about his mom. Mm -hmm. And this book, he was being openly pitied, but he just, like, chose to ignore it. Like, he had just, like, moved beyond that particular emotion. And I was like, that's some pretty intense character growth right there. Absolutely. And I... I mean, I think it had a lot to do with when we saw him in the last Megamorphs book where he experienced, like, a very intense uh, reaction to having to go to war and especially talking Mm -hmm. about um, World War II and D-Day. Yeah. And I think that really, like, something in him just kind of flipped. Yeah. Well, and, like, a Marco in earlier book would never have considered you know, destroying his own mother. But in this book, that's like, he knew he had to, and he just, you know, he tried his best not to, like, think about that, and the fact that he had to, like, shut that down. Like, what, there was one point in the book where he explained the plan to all the other Animorphs, and everybody was like, okay, and Cassie was the one who was like, um, guys, isn't this, like, kind of fucked up? Like, are we really okay with this? And I I just absolutely love that moment. I was like, thank you, Cassie. Like, thank you for acknowledging that this is super fucked up and and 
Oh my god, I don't know. It was just, it was crazy. It was, and just to talk more about like the other characters' reactions to him, because this was um, a very self-centered book, which is not always something we see, but it was interesting here. But like um, Tobias constantly asking him, like, "Are you okay?" and Axe being very blunt, like, "Can you do this to your mother?" and um, Rachel and Jake, I think, were the most interesting other than Cassie when she had that outburst with Rachel just either refusing, like being able to recognize when he was about to lose it and not pushing those buttons Mm -hmm. at the wrong time. Yeah. And then Jake just initially being like, you know, I am the leader of this group. And so I'm making the calls and Jake really took on that friend role at the end here. And he didn't make the calls for Marco. He didn't push him. He just, kind of supported him they did pull that little switcheroo at the end of the plan there but like he really supported him and when that battle was raging on jake was not with his troops fighting against the hork bajur and Mm -hmm. 3 he was pinning marco down saying hold on hold on oh my god that scene was so intense it's good this is a good book i mean i know we were a little we made commentary about the writing and I, i that still stands but as far as Marco's character goes, mm-hmm. and um, th- this book really stands out to me. This is one of my favorite books, I think. This is in my top ten books. I don't know. I like that dark, twisted shit. Yeah, I, in regards to some of the writing, like some of the tone was kind of off. But for the most part, I thought all the characters were, were reading really well. It was the villains more than anything else. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Man, yeah, I would take a week off of school if I had to sit with the realization that I could murder my own family. I think it's very important that this book took place after the Megamorse book we just read. Yes. Because, yeah, I agree with what you said earlier. I think seeing all that war, something just kind of broke in Marco, and he was just like, I don't know, maybe he was just like, oh yeah, we're all, we're all meat, we're all... nothing matters we're all just gonna die so yeah i can i can kill my mom you know it's for the greater good whatever yep i don't know it's very bad it is but in a good satisfying way everyone if you have a mother that you love and who loves you and you have a good relationship please go call your mother pet your goldfish or whatever (laughs) pet your goldfish (laughs) stick your hand in the bowl touch the fish stick your hand in the bowl and pet him (laughs) oh my god god anyway Uh, anyways um i uh not to rush this but i really want to get to rankings of the characters and more importantly of the book yes 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 i agree okay okay uh so jake jake wasn't really in this book a lot but when he was in it i loved him um, mm-hmm. So I think I'm going to do 4.5 for Jake. Just dock him half a point for not being in the book. Because that's totally his fault. <laughs> he had to do his um, stupid family shit. I'm surprisingly, I'm going to give him a 5. Because okay. of how he reacted with Marco. And yeah. he stepped back from that leader role. And I like to see that he still had that in him. Mm-hmm. So I'm giving him a 5. Uh, Rachel. I don't know. Rachel was solid, and I like that she did her part, even though normally Rachel would wanna, would have wanted to kill somebody, but she just went ahead and did her role as the hork So, 
I will say yeah. five. I'm giving her a five because she's, she's my favorite. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but also um, because I found it extremely interesting at the end of the book that she was the one that went to Marco yeah. and got through to him. And so. I think she was a good choice for that because like Marco mentions that she's not really the huggy type. Mm-hmm. But I also think Marco isn't really the huggy type and that he wouldn't have wanted a hug in that moment. Maybe. Yeah. No, I agree with that. And I also think it's that Marco has had this realization in this book that he's ruthless. And he's always looked at Rachel like, that's yeah. the crazy one. That's the ruthless one. Yeah. And he's struggling in himself to come to terms with that. So I think that was the person that he looked at and said, she knows what it's like to be in my shoes. Yep. I think it was important that she went to him. Yes, Absolutely. Um, okay, Tobias. Five. I loved him. Yeah, he was a pouty little boy. He was a mad little boy. He was a very diplomatic leader, let me tell you. Yes. <laughs> they voted on everything. Oh my god. <laughs> he was very open to criticism and concerns. <laughs> uh, but still a five. Yep. Uh, Axe. Not my favorite Axe, if I'm honest. Um, I mean, like, I loved that he was... It was a different side of him. He was very, like, kind of business. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, that's not that's not my favorite aspect of Axe. Like, I le- his his innocent naivete is my favorite aspect of him. So I'm going to say 4.5. I'm sorry, Axe, my baby. I would like to call this Axe more cinnamon, less buns. <laughs> And that I is how I want that. to talk about this. <laughs> More cinnamon, less buns. <laughs> That's my favorite thing now. <laughs> oh my god. Um, but yeah, I'll give him a four, I think, for that excellent fighting with the Horkbisher. Yeah, he killed it. Cassie. Again, she wasn't really in this book a lot. I did like mm-hmm. that she called out how fucked up the situation was, and she was the only one to do that. Um, and I liked the window scene. But, again, she wasn't in the book a whole lot, so probably just going to give her a four. I'm going to give her a four as well. Um, and the only thing I'll add to that, I agree with all of that, and all I'm going to add is I really liked all of the implied relationship between her and Jake. Like, there's a lot of, like, oh, behind the scenes, mm-hmm. they're still developing their, like, you know, middle school dating life or whatever. Cute. So, Cute. yeah, I liked that, too. <sighs> um, Let's see. I guess just Marco's left, huh? Uh, He gets a five from me. Like, God, he was just so compelling to read in this book. Yes. Oh, he just reached a whole new level for me. And it's not necessarily a great level, but, like, it's it's... Wow, he's just developing as a character, and it's wonderful to witness. Yeah, absolutely. I'm giving him a five as well. Like, this is where I really love the Marco, the analytic Marco, where he can swing to places that, like, he didn't even think he could go. Mm-hmm. And I really like that. It's a lot of fives and fours. Good kids. Okay. All right, should we rate the books? Books! I don't remember okay. what they were. Well, let let us go to our handy dandy episode list here. Huzzah! And we just read thirty, the reunion, which was Marco. Um, Cassie had twenty nine. Ooh, wah, ah, ah, the sickness. Ooh, wah, ah, ah. 
Axe had 28, the experiment, which was the cows. The cows. Uh, Rachel had 27, which was the exposed, which was the squid story. So the chi um, breaking down and the whales. Um, then Jake's was the attack number 26, which was where they went to the planet with the Fran Drescher guys. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, they and the howlers. Oh my god, yep, and the howlers. Yeah, fuck, this is That's gonna be hard. Yes, it is. Oh no, I am not feeling great about claiming boldly earlier that 30 was one of my favorite books. Oh god, okay, it still is. Oh shit. I'm going to start with five and go five backwards okay. to give us some more time. Okay. My fifth favorite book was The Experiment. The Cows? With the cows. The cows. Which is sad because I still liked it. But um, I think of just thinking about the writing and the way it is in these, I think that one was probably the most... Oh, fuck! But that's where they had Axe quoting all of the soap operas. I fuck. know! It's hard. I, Mm. Oh God! Oh, honestly, I think I'm gonna put exposed in fourth place or fifth. Sorry, I—I I mean, I liked it a lot, but I don't know. We had a lot of problems with that one, though. Yeah, like Rachel's tone was really off in that book. Rachel's tone was very off in that book. But see, that's why I was marking down. Oh shit! You're right. Okay, it's the exposed. That's the fifth worst one. Yeah. Okay, fourth worst one. God, uh, probably the sickness. Wow. Really? Over the experiment? Okay, I loved Axe. That was my favorite Axe of all time. I, okay. That was Goofy Axe. Axe. I loved it. So this is where it's hard because Axe was so good. And I agree. This is like one of my favorite Axes. Yeah. But oh, God, the that's... whole slaughterhouse plan, the whole chimpanzee Yeah, plan, that's the whole... true. It was so stupid. Yeah, you're right. Oh, and and the and the sickness was really good, and it was Cassie being a badass, and and, <laughs> and that was a fun episode to record. Yeah, we kept oh, having to do the wah thing. <sighs> oh, okay, fine. Yeah, okay. I love Axe, and that was my favorite Axe. But yeah, you're right. From a story perspective, the sickness was better. Yeah, and then the sickness would be my third. Yeah, third I agree in with that. Ranking. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Now comes the hard part. Oh God. And the other thing, I'm not going to tell you. You tell me your opinion first, and then I'm going to tell you my hang up. Oh God. So I hated the Skeksis guys in the attack, mm-hmm. but the whole Howler subplot was so fucking compelling. Yeah. I don't know. I've, I'm having these, like, two extreme reactions. And, like, I didn't really love the world that the attack was set in, but the Howlers were just so good. Oh, my God. Yeah, the Howlers were so good. Plus, we got a really good perspective from Jake in there. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I think I think um, this book is second and the attack is first for me. Oh, God. This is okay. just, This is hard. I don't know. This is really hard, and my other hang-up that I didn't want to tell you before you said that was because I know Applegate wrote the attack, and she did not write the reunion. Yeah. That's my other hang-up. Yeah. Um, fuck. Um, so here's where I'm really struggling. The attack, I think, 
You're you're right. The Heller subplot was so compelling. Seeing Axe go through that whole yeah. losing his confidence, coming back from it, yeah. the way everybody handled that. Yeah. Rachel in the shopping mall thing. <laughs> fucking perfect. <laughs> but the reunion, the what Marco, his journey throughout that book mm-hmm. is so oh, God. intense. Yeah. Like I I just love it. That's why it's like one of, I'm going to say it's my top 10, and then I'm tempted to add the attack above the reunion, which just feels contradictory, but like, because I don't know if I'd immediately peg the attack as my top 10. Yeah. So the reunion and the attack are like almost neck and neck for me for very different Mm -hmm. reasons. And then um, the sickness and the experiment are very neck and neck for me for also different Mm -hmm. reasons. So it's, for me, it's really more like first, second, third, I guess. I don't know. Like it's, it's very close for me. Like this was a really good batch of books. It it is. I agree. I could, I would still put the sickness above the exposed. Like I could still make that decision, but I am really struggling with the attack versus the reunion. Mm Mm-hmm. No one told me life was gonna be this way. (laughs) I clapped for you. (laughs) Oh, shit. Um, Anyway. I'm going to put the reunion first and the attack second. (gasps) An upset. I know. I know. No, that's great. This This was a super good book. It was. Like every and like i feel like if we ever tried to like pull apart marco's plan of putting these visitors one and two or one and three against each other we would come up with so many plot holes and so much shit but marco going through that and coming out the other side is just so compelling Mm -hmm. to me yeah so Uh, the other thing i think is that the attack was like five books ago or six books ago Mm -hmm. After the events of Megamorphs 3, I'm, like, much more dead inside. Yeah. So I think my my emotional reaction to Jake's book was just much higher than this book. Because this book, I'm just like, well, we're all meat. Nothing matters. We're all going to die. And yeah. And okay. So that's so true. Because the attack was like, love conquers all. Love will save the world. Love saves the day. Yeah. And this book is like, we're all fucked. Everybody dies. Kill your mother. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. It's just... <laughs> I have no more fucks to give. <laughs> My fucks have runneth dry. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's not true. I have I have many more fucks to give for these kids. I'm just, like, more and more broken with each book we read. Yep. Uh, that's how Combined it goes. with the state of the world right now. And I'm just kind of <laughs> like, yeah, we're all fucked. All right. I'm going to suppress my emotions now. Let's get a psychologist before the end of this that we can talk to. Oh, for f- yeah. I'm, I'm working on it. Believe me. Uh, we, we, we did it. We did it. We rated the books. Let's, uh, let's stop. <laughs> I need to go to bed. It's almost midnight. Oh, shit. That's right. You're an hour ahead. Okay. It's close to midnight. How many songs can I reference in this episode? I hope. I don't. I'm so sorry. That was impressive. I didn't expect Thriller to get in there. 
All right. Okay. Where where can we be found? We can be found for any of the questions we asked you in this episode, which was like four. <laughs> um, you can email us at anonymousanimorphs at gmail.com. You can go on Facebook, shame us publicly at Animorphs Anonymous on Facebook, <laughs> or you can join our super secret, super awesome group, the Andalite Bandalites at facebook.com slash group slash Animorphs Anonymous. Follow us on Twitter at Animorphs Anon. Hey. Follow us on InstaSlam at Animorphs Anonymous. And you can find us wherever podcasts are sold online for free. Every single one. Ever. Well, speaking of every single thing, tell me about your comic. I have a webcomic. It's called Beside You. It's about music and romance in 2003. It's a good time. You can check it out at BesideYouComic.com. That's B-S-I-D-E-Y-O-U Comic.com. Please read it. Do it. It's Yay. good. It's very, very good. Yeah. All right. Let's go and uh, determine for ourselves whether or not we could murder our family. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's going to be a hard no for me. I'll climb that cliff when I come to it. Yeah, we'll we'll do some soul searching and get back to you. Yeah. Oh my god, let's get out of here. Fuck. Bye. Bye.